Welcome to Cancel Culture, the business of law podcast brought to you by Byfield. Welcome back to Council Culture, the business of law podcast. Um, it's a really sunny and beautiful week uh, with, I don't know how much it is. It's like maybe 27 degrees. 30. 30 today. Wow. Um, so yeah, uh, it's lovely to be back from holiday. I hope everyone's had a really lovely summer. Uh, I'm here with Michael today. Hello. Hello. Uh, how was your summer? It was good. Thanks, Meg. Just back from holiday too. Uh, nice to have a bit of a break. Um, good to be back on the podcast. Yeah, definitely. Same for me. I was on holiday up until last week, and uh, yeah, it, it was. It, it's nice to be back. Definitely. Uh, so we're just going to have a quick podcast today because um, there's not been anything major this week, but there has been some major pieces of news throughout the summer, and we kind of want to look ahead as as to what to expect for the next quarter as well. Uh, I feel like September is a good time to reset for a lot of people. So, um, yeah, why don't we have a first look at kind of the, the biggest stories, I guess, in the past month um, in particular. I mean, I think uh, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago um, that there was some news breaking uh, at Kirkling & Ellis in London uh, of uh, Neil Sachdev and three other partners uh, leaving the firm, um, obviously all kind of uh, big hitters. Um, it was kind of shocking because it doesn't happen very often, especially not at that level. So I think it surprised a lot of people in the market. Um, they're going to Paul Weiss, uh, again, which is really interesting to see that firm making some really decent hires in London to, to build out their outfit here. Um, just really interesting news. Uh, any thoughts on that at all? Yeah, I mean, um, kudos to James Booth at Financial News for, for, for breaking that. I think yeah. it made an awful lot of people sit up and go, whoa. Um, you know, just um, really big moves uh by people who do really big deals um on a you know out of the blue a little bit so i mean you i think you know the firm and the characters and the people a bit, bit better than i do meg so i mean uh what are your thoughts in terms of in terms of, does it signify does it herald you know and you see a sort of season of, of big team hires lateral hires or is it very situation specific and uh what do you think the opportunity is for for for, for paul Weiss here? Oh, I mean, I think, um, I mean, I think whatever the situation is at Kirkland, and I think James has uh, published another story on this a couple of days ago. I mean, whatever the situation is at Kirkland, there's something specific, I think, here. But um, I wouldn't expect that many more people coming out of that firm in London. Uh, we did have a few people leave, I think, in house roles earlier this year. Um, again, I think for the wider market, I mean, I think we're seeing a few firms you know, making some really interesting moves, US firms particularly. So Paul Weiss, they, they have quite a small outfit here. Um, it, it just shows a real message of, you know, we're not playing in a small kind of court. We're, we're here with, we've got actual goals uh, and we're willing to put the money down to, you know, achieve them as quickly as we can. Uh, so I think it's quite serious. And I think, um, yeah, there's a few other firms, you know, making entrances this year, uh, into the market and things like that. So I think uh, I think we should expect in the next few years these types of moves. It might not be imminent um, because I think the market overall, the economy is so bad that I think it's quite hard for a lot of transactional lawyers to kind of justify their move at the moment. But 
that said, I do think we might see some really surprising moves of that sort. That's interesting. And I think um, yeah, uh, it brings that sort of age-old question of the individual versus the sort of firm and the brand and the collective to, to the fore again. And, you know, I think when you get to the big firm level, no, there's no individual or even team is really... Is, is, is bigger than a firm and I think yeah. you know, that applies to Kirkland just as much as, as anybody else um, but it'll be interesting to see what they do uh, to sort of um, you know bolster their own capabilities maybe plug some gaps but um, yeah. you know they're you know, by far and away by some degree the biggest firm in the world in terms of revenue so I kind of think that from, from, from their perspective in London it's you know it's probably quite sad for them but yeah. um, it's it's not it, it's it's significant, not significant sort of dramatic without being significant yeah if that, if that makes sense I yeah think i think yeah i think it makes sense i think in terms of gossip it's dramatic yeah, but, but, <laughs> but i think like for them they could hire anyone they want tomorrow yeah. do you know what i mean so i guess yeah I guess. dramatic but not significant <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think there's been another piece of like quite big news as well um, yeah different weeks. different type different area of the market but obviously there's been over the summer there were some pretty dramatic developments at um with axiom Mints. um quite a lot of quite a lot of some some definite things happening some sort of speculation sra's involved um freezing orders flying around um it it all it's it seems very dramatic um, and significant, I think, for that firm. So, mm-hmm. um, in a in a very in a very different way, um, feel bad for people involved um, at the for, for, at the at the firm. Um, I guess we're going to have to see how that one evolves because uh, there's there's a certain amount of speculation, but not tons of solid information in the public domain of the sort of suspensions of the SRA and these freeze, uh, by the SRA and these freezing orders but I think that'll be an interesting one to, to, to look at in the coming weeks yeah definitely I think everyone's going to be keeping an eye on, on that developing story in the in the legal trades to kind of a geopolitical uh, development that happened in August as well. It was fairly big and I think that's causing some some discussions or for some maybe headaches for a few uh, management, management teams. So the Chinese government's just passed some new regulations and legislations to kind of um, avoid, well, to kind of avoid, um, what do you call it? Um, like spying and things like that and that's causing well that's caused essentially the 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 end of um uh the alliance between dentons and uh they're from dashing in in um china um uh, in august that was quite a kind of significant move from the firm and i think uh we, we discussed it a few weeks ago and obviously i think a few firms will be looking at their position i mean Nathan and watkins um were kind of changing their outfits uh, in Shanghai um, for, for kind of a bigger outfit in Beijing. So it's kind of interesting to see how there's already discussions happening and moves happening and, and seeing how each firm will, with the presence there, will kind of manage that differently. Um, any thoughts at all on that? I think, again, it's another one which will be really interesting to see how firms evolve their positions over the coming months. It was quite um, very significant move by Denton's. I think, you know, for a lot... 
China is, although there was some macroeconomic data, the macroeconomic data is very strong out of the US, it's weaker out of China. Um, I think it suggests that China may not overtake the US anytime soon as the world's biggest economy, but it's certainly the second biggest economy by some distance. Yeah. And um, very difficult to ignore. So I guess it's how do you de-risk China um, uh, for your business? And there are different ways of doing that. Denton's obviously with deeper into China than others and has yeah. taken it one decision. Others that have re representative offices and not practicing Chinese law, no plans to. Um, it's it's slightly different. You may see perhaps some firms building out a bit bigger in Hong Kong, mm. um, but you can't ignore places like um, Shanghai and Beijing as political and commercial centres. So um, it's just whether some firms revert to a good friends kind of relationship, yeah. whether they uh, continue to invest but in a slightly different way. What I don't think you'll do, I don't, what I don't think you'll see is... Um, increasing numbers of Western headquartered or origin firms um, formally seeking to practice Chinese law. That's the thing that I don't think you'll, you'll, you'll see any more of, and you may see, in fact, some of that, any of that work being rolled back. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and lastly, a story that came out this week, actually, I think it was yesterday, uh, Shillings is uh, opening up a kind of uh, PR branch um, <laughs> with I think they poached uh, what what is it the the um, UK uh, head of Portland. Yep. Um, so yeah, pretty significant. I think um, they were saying that um, basically they've decided to do that because obviously there um, there's other ways to to uh, solve issues around defamation and things like that than legal action, which is really interesting coming from them. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that, actually? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's new if we've already talked about Denton's, but you had Denton's advisors like years ago uh, yeah. setting up kind of PR, public affairs, etc. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know the level of sort of success of that, that business, um, but, you know, they, they made that investment quite a long time ago. So it's not it's not new, but it is unusual. Obviously, it's a big hitter um, with uh, you know I think the, the chair of um, the, the chair of Portland, so um, George Pascoe Watson, um, obviously very well known in the industry. Um, Schilling's very well known for libel, defamation, reputation management. Um, I would say two things. One, um, it underlines the need for PR strategy when you're in litigation, um, and it's a recognition of that. Mm. To how significant it is for the, very, the two sectors of PR and um, and legal, yeah. I'm not certain. I think without others following, um, it's a, probably a, an, an interesting anomaly that makes strategic sense, perhaps for, for in this case, yeah. but maybe isn't a model that others will follow. Um, we'll have to see on that, it may be wrong. Um, and I think for me, one of the more interesting aspects of it is that it is a recognition. I think some of the messaging sort of reflected that, that, you know, in effect, writing nasty letters and making legal threats isn't always the answer. Yeah. It certainly isn't always the complete answer. There is a recognition from shillings that they were farming more and more work out to PR agencies and they're yeah. like, why are we doing this? Um, yeah. And and I think, you know, that partly because of the clampdown on lawfare and um, 
and Slack is such that it has created an opportunity for, I think, PR strategies to take a bigger role. Yeah. Because the legal situation is somewhat complicated by by that. And I think the pendulum has swung very much towards legal strategies over quite a long period. Yeah. And it has started to swing back a little bit towards away from the hard legal towards something which needs an integrated approach. So I do think that that's, for me personally as a practitioner, is the most interesting thing here. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's really interesting. Um, it's like sometimes you, I was talking to a lawyer and they were saying it for that story, it was really interesting because the, um, they used to kind of use a public affairs kind of um, agency before for some of their clients and that's how they gain work. So I wonder if there's part of that too uh, for, for shillings. But yeah, uh, really interesting story. Um, let's see how they get on uh, with, the, with the job. And uh, yeah, it's the, the second section of the podcast today, uh, we're just going to look at a couple of kind of themes of what's coming up uh, in the last uh, quarter of 2023. I can't believe the year has gone by so incredibly fast. Um, so to start with, uh, we are waiting for a vote outcome at uh, the potential A&O Sherman uh, merged firm. <laughs> Oh, let's see if it's actually happening. We've actually got a poll on LinkedIn uh, that came out this morning. Um, so feel free to vote. Uh, it's on the LinkedIn page. We're asking everyone whether you think um, they should uh, vote for the, for the merger or uh, against it. Uh, feel free to vote. We'll see um, the responses next week. Uh, and I'm happy to talk about that next week on the podcast as well. But um, yeah, uh, what, uh, what do you think, Michael? What do you think will be happening i think i'm team yes in the after the amount of coverage um i think it's an existential question for shimmer and sterling yeah um uh largely and 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 not going through the merger would be an existential threat i think mm. but also i think in the amount of publicity the fact that management have really put things on the line yeah and it was i, I believe brunswick did the uh the PR around the announcement, which um, I thought they did pretty well, actually. They really um, did, yeah. Uh, treating it as a proper M&A deal rather than a, a legal sector thing, yeah, almost. Yeah. Um, so it's done professionally. It was done quietly, getting it to that point, which yeah. is no mean feat when it comes to the legal uh, sector. Definitely. And and I think that you know, as we've seen with um, uh, EY, if yeah. you put it all on the line to do something dramatic, a merger or spinning off a huge chunk of your business or an IPO, and it doesn't happen, that's curtains for management to yeah. a large extent, but it also throws everything up in the air. Um, in terms of strategy, obviously you will have splits within partnerships. I think given what, given given the amount of publicity, I think it would, unless, there, unless there's something that we wouldn't see, but you'd only see inside a firm about how it's being done or whatever. I think absolutely they should vote yes, and I think they will vote yes. And I mm -hmm. think it will be perhaps not as transformational for the sector as some of the more breathless coverage is implied, but it will change things and it will, it gives partners permission, it gives firms permission to think about ambitious mergers in a way that they generally haven't for, for quite a lot of, quite a, a long time. Um, partly because it's difficult getting partners to agree on things. Yeah. 
but also partly because we had a number of years of growth being relatively easy at the top end. I'm not saying people weren't working incredibly hard because they were, um, but a sort of rising tide lifted most of the boats anyway. Yeah. Um, so whether it was 7% or 17% growth, that was achievable. It's it's a bit tougher out there now, which I think we're going to talk about in a minute. But so, so that's rationale for mergers for strategic decisions is stronger yeah um because growth isn't just happening out just happening because everything's fine and there's loads of deals going on um so yeah i think i'll go for it what do you think i think i think it will pass um but uh more importantly I, i wonder if once it does why if it does that's the aftermath that I wonder about because that's often it's one thing to pass it, but then it's another to implement it and to to make sure that it's done well. I mean, Hogan Nobles did a really, really good job when they merged a few years ago now. Um, but but we've seen firms where it's not always the case. So it's kind of post merger integration and it, the cultural side, the system side, I think is relatively, I mean, it's not easy, it's big, but it's, it's kind of hygiene. Um, it's the cultural. It's for it's for it's the cultural side of things yeah. around integration, having a focused strategy, of a merged entity, getting people to trust each other, um, aligning incentives where perhaps the way in which people are incentivized would have been different around part of remuneration, and any kind of cultural issues around how um, you know how you reward people but also how you what's not acceptable that line of, of, of that those lines where when people are doing un- things which may not be wrong but they're not desirable for the sort of new corporate culture finding those lines take takes takes some time so um, yeah you're right uh, what happens afterwards if it does pass then the following 12 to 18 months will be kind of absolutely crucial to, to, to making it work and Probably. hugely important um so yeah it'll be interesting yeah definitely and yeah i think um yeah i think we we, we might see some more kind of um acquisitions or kind of mergers coming through maybe not of that size but then again who knows <laughs> maybe we'll get surprised tomorrow with the news of someone else merging but um then again i mean look i mean hogan Nobles had their um re-elected ceo this week saying that you know he wasn't um ruling out a potential merger to to get to his goal of three billion dollar revenue you know i mean we know he they were looking at it earlier this year um so it's just really interesting especially when you when you've got such big expansion plans um worldwide i think yeah um i think mergers mergers are a viable option again in a way but most of the past decade they kind of have been very hard to pull off as proactive strategic moves um and I think if it passes, A&O Sherman creates the that combined with the you know, slightly tougher economic backdrop. Yeah. Gives leadership position permission to think big and partners permission to think positively yeah. about combinations. So I think we will see more, but I don't think I think if people expect to see ten mega mergers tomorrow, it's not gonna happen. Oh yeah. But I think if we if we look if we if we look back in a year's time, I think there will be a, a few more happening. Um, let's see. Let's see. Yeah. 
and and finally, um, I mean, it's the last quarter, so I think for a lot of, of partners, especially at US firms, it, we're not quite there yet. We're not, well, we're not quite there yet, but I mean, you know, in like what? Uh, three weeks. <laughs> in three weeks, we'll be there. So uh, people will be looking at, you know, um, their own finances and, and billings and things like that. So I think this last quarter will be quite critical in terms of, uh, well, hopefully in terms of deals. It's been a fairly quiet year. Um, there is a lot of kind of dry powder around. Um, it's just being sat on uh, due to the worldwide economic um, kind of conditions. So, you know, let's see what happens in terms of deals. And obviously, I think for US firms, it's really crucial that they do happen and they get their money on time because, you know, the December deadline to kind of follow your financials is coming up um, and you want to look good. <laughs> Yeah, it's a really interesting environment, I think, for deals at the moment because there are fewer mega deals, but there's a, quite a lot of mid-market activity. You're getting, you're seeing what you usually see during times when there are fewer big deals, which is, you know, the firms, you know, like a Latham's um, or Freshfields and others dipping down into that kind of uh, mid-market deals smaller deal sizes yeah um and the firms that usually play in that area getting sort of squeezed down a bit um because suddenly you know they're up again so suddenly um you know deal what they would have been doing that maybe uh, a linklatus wouldn't have had capacity to do linklatus does have capacity to do and it's scooping up stuff from the mid-market yeah um so um that's kind of interesting the economic pressures obviously it's Higher interest rates have made things change the dynamic for private equity completely. Yeah. Um, you can't just acquire uh, revenue streams practically for free with like incredibly low cost debt yeah. um, on with almost zero covenants. That has changed, and that has not changed with a blip. That has structurally shifted, and that structural shift is something that private equity is still, you know. It, will take some time to get to grips with. I mean, I think there was a lot of talk about UK, for taking the UK, for example, um, listed companies that actually aren't getting a lot out of being listed and there being a likely sort of de-equitization trend where private equity would swoop in and buy out hundreds of them. I think you have seen some of that in uh, property and REITs and yeah. things, but I'm not sure it's really crystallized yet no. in terms of FTSE 250 type companies. Um, Partly, I think, because you need a solid strategic rationale for doing a deal. It's not just I can acquire these cash flows for nothing and just add to my portfolio of companies. It's how can, how can, it's a bit back to the future. How can a buyer, whether it's a trade buyer or a um, private equity um, financial buyer, make it make sense? Yeah. Where is the growth opportunity? Where is the strategic opportunity? Um, which obviously I think is kind of healthy. Yeah. Um, and makes for a more interesting deal climate, I think. Um, hopefully things will pick up a little bit in terms of deal volumes towards the end of the year. That will obviously help all firms. But I think that kind of in environment around value creation, transformational opportunities, why is it, how, why is this going to work? Yeah. Just actually is genuinely much more interesting than some of the financial engineering driven deals that we've seen over, over recent years. Yeah. Um, the legal sector, I suppose they don't really care about the rationale for it. It's about just doing the deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not getting the money. <laughs> um, but um, I, I do think that we will start to see, so there seems to be a bit of 
cautious positivity, but the rate cycle, interest rate cycle is nearing the top. Yeah. So it means people can adjust, get used to that new reality of higher rates for longer and incorporate that into their, you know, planning around capital structures, debt financing, how what they need to do to make to make deals work. Yeah. So um yeah. yeah. Sorry, got a bit nerdy there. Yeah, no problem. I think people <laughs> will appreciate that though. So um yeah, I think that's uh pretty much it for today. Uh, slightly shorter than usual. Um but no thank you for uh, coming on this week. Um and uh, it's been a busy start of, of of September actually so I was going to say of the year but no of September so um, yeah we'll we'll uh, come back next week for another episode uh, we're on Google Podcasts Apple Podcasts and Spotify um, feel free to drop us any kind of uh, feedback anytime uh, and if you want to kind of start in the podcast let, let me know uh, I'd be yeah, happy to have more we are, guests we are, we are open to, to guests because as much as I love coming on the podcast um, it's good to have different voices so for sure drop us a line if you want to be a guest on Council Culture cool thank you very much bye you've been listening to Council Culture the Business of Law podcast brought to you by Byfield thanks for listening Don't forget to subscribe and join us again next week where we'll be discussing some more of the biggest stories in the legal sector.